Hello, listeners, and welcome to Two Profs in a Pod. I'm Tanisha. And I'm Beth. We are both professors and co-faculty developers at Glendale Community College in Arizona. And we enjoy talking about teaching, learning, and other stuff. So today we are going to talk about discussions, but before we jump into discussions, we thought it would be a good idea to share a little bit of information about ourselves, because I think people are interested in knowing a little bit more. Some of our listeners have expressed uh, some feedback that they would like to know another tidbit or two. So this is just the tidbit for this episode. Tanisha and I have a reunion coming up. It's a four-year reunion, and that is in celebration of the four years that we have been residential faculty at Glendale Community College. Four years! Yes! Four years! We started at the same time, so we're really looking forward to the reunion. So that's just a little bit of a tidbit about us. I'm sure we'll have other tidbits along the way. Mm -hmm. So anyway, moving on from that, uh, like I said before, today we're going to talk about discussions. So Beth, I always ask, why are we talking about discussions? We are talking about discussions because um, I'm going to go a completely different direction from what we talked about earlier. Okay. And that is, I think that, well, for one, rich conversation. And there's no pun intended in that. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot that we can say about discussions. And yes. they're, they're quite complicated. There might be a misconception about discussions that, you know, all teachers do in a classroom is let the students talk about whatever. Or that when you have a conversation it's, or a discussion, it's just taking up time, or that they're easy, or you don't have to have a lesson plan, or something like that. But really, discussions are quite complex, and I find them less challenging than I used to, but for a good portion of the beginning of my career, I, f- I felt very challenged by having class discussions. But they are so necessary, yes. even more today, I think, than they used to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And... And I'm really glad you mentioned that because I think there is this misperception that discussions are just talking. Mm -hmm. But the truth of the matter is that they are definitely a lot more complex, right? There's Mm -hmm. several different types of discussions that you can have in the classroom. And they're not just random impromptu conversations. Sometimes there are, I'll admit, random impromptu conversations. That's just something that naturally happens in the classroom. But the truth of the matter is that when you have discussions actually embedded into a lesson, Mm -hmm. it's a little bit more complex, especially with the different types. Like I know, Beth, you know about some of the different types of discussions. Mm -hmm. Like what are some of the different types of discussions you can have in a classroom? Well, I mean, primarily ones that I've used have been Socratic discussions. I see that one of your resources talks about literature circles. I have used those kinds of discussions too. Yes. Mm -hmm. That, that, that's a specific type. Also, in having conversation discussions, we had a discussion mm-hmm. about discussions with some of our colleagues. Uh, some of them mentioned things like you could have a discussion that focuses on critique or that are evaluative mm-hmm. or just getting to know your students, uh, people introducing themselves to new people, starting a conversation, and sometimes even just unpacking complex topics. Uh, and, and what's interesting is that, you know, we have these different types. And then one of the central key aspects of the discussions is that, for the most part, the instructor oftentimes has the role of the facilitator, the role of facilitator. Right. But I think most or many instructors are probably uncomfortable with that role as a facilitator. And I think that's one of the reasons why it is important to talk about discussions because of how people sometimes feel uncomfortable with discussions themselves 
for different reasons. One, one reason why some people don't like discussions is a lack of control. So really having like no clue or no idea where the conversation mm-hmm. is going to go. If you get off track, how do you get back on track? If things get too heated, how do you bring people back? So a lot of people are uncomfortable with that because instructors, right? We like to be in control. If you're a manager or a supervisor or a boss and you're talking to your team, right? You like to have control. But at the end of the day, sometimes we don't have that control, but hopefully we have enough tools in our toolbox that can help us to facilitate the discussions wherever we're at just a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about what the research says. Yes. The research this time is a little different, right? Because it's it's really just what's out there in relation to discussions and what kind of discussions. Yes. What did you find out? So one of the things I found out, I actually ended up with some books on loan from another instructor. And the instructor let me borrow this book that came out in 2002. It's called Socratic Seminars in Literature Circles for Middle and High School English by Victor J. Moeller and Mark V. Moeller. And they talk about the Socratic method. And I'm sure if you're listening, you might think, okay, well, what can I do with a book that is applicable to middle and high school English? But the truth of the matter is that I I found that the stuff in the book was really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, They talk about the Socratic method, how uh, uh, there is a misperception about the Socratic method that it's just people sitting around and talking in circles. And that's a small piece of it, but there are actually different approaches to it. And the author actually believes it represents John Dewey's method of reflective thinking, where it includes doubt when interpreting a problem. Mm -hmm. And how when you approach that doubt, you go through the act of searching for a solution, right? Uh, And this is accomplished through what's called strategic discussion. And I really appreciated the term strategic discussion because it lets us know that there is strategy to discussion. You kind of have like a beginning, a middle, and an end goal. And you have to be strategic about it. And one way that you can really implement the strategy of discussion is by using prepared questions, right? Mm -hmm. So that means there is some preparation for a discussion. And also really guiding the discussion with with spontaneous follow-up questions. So what I really like about this method that I pulled from the text is that there is structure, right? You have prepared questions, and then uh, you have spontaneity as well. So it's a nice balance of having preparation and also kind of that spontaneity of discussion that kind of helps to spur knowledge and understanding. So the purpose of this method, from what I got from the authors, is that it's all about engaged learning, so being more engaged in the classroom, uh, improving comprehension. It also allows learners to interpret meaning and figure things out in their own way. And I think that's especially important in English. I don't teach English, but Beth, you teach English. Mm -hmm. And uh, all I can really give you is perspective from me taking English classes. Uh, But I know that the English teachers that I had, especially in AP English, some of the best discussions we had were when we were talking about books and texts we were Mm -hmm. reading. And how everyone, we were reading the same book but how everyone had their own interpretations. Mm-hmm. And then when we discussed those interpretations, it helped us to understand the book even further, mm-hmm. as opposed to us sitting in a corner and reading by ourselves. So I really, really like the Socratic method. Granted, it is the book is geared towards middle and high school English teachers, but the truth of the matter, if you're not familiar with Socratic method, the Socratic method is not just limited to middle, and, middle school and high school. It's also used in colleges 
throughout the country. So it's not just limited to elementary schools and high schools. It is also used in higher education as well. And I think it's really important to emphasize that point to any listeners who not be who may not be familiar with the method itself. Mm-hmm. And I think that you bringing up literature as as being something that one a group of people are sitting around talking. And I'm even I'm even just thinking about some of our literary li- listeners who might belong to book groups. Yes. And and are having discussions and I think that you know for sure with literature we can have rich discussions where we hear different people's viewpoints but I don't think it matters what subject we teach because we could still have a topic that we're discussing that day and students can still hear different viewpoints about that topic right so even though they didn't read something and they're all sharing something different here's a topic we're going to talk about, like free speech. Right. And they can all share something different that, that they think about that topic. Yes. Yeah. So, um, okay. And that and that's a great book that you uh, have pointed out. And it's actually one that I've used. And I have used Socratic circles in my classes before. And I have had students generate their own questions. But here's a, here's a helpful hint if you're a teacher. Um, I usually have them prepare their questions in advance. I might even have them turn them into me online in advance or the class before. And part of that is control. Mm-hmm. Part of that is I don't want to show up the day that it's scheduled and not have them be prepared for it. Right. So I was able to maintain a little piece of control right. by saying, here's when you have to have your questions to me. And then I always gave students extra points if we use their question in the discussion. So that's kind of a little twist that I put on it. Okay, so I looked at a book called Talking in Class, Using Discussion to Enhance Teaching and Learning. And one of the gists in that book was about the difference between authentic versus monologic discussions. So dialogic versus monologic. I'm probably saying those wrong and I feel really bad about that right now. But um, so it's the difference between a maybe a discussion where the teacher throws out a question and a student responds um, versus an authentic discussion where maybe I'm not throwing out a question, but I throw out a scenario. Mm. And then we can discuss the scenario where there's all kinds of possibilities for responses. And um, so the discussion is going to be much richer. It's typically more rare. It's not seeking for, here's some information I just gave you, digest it a little bit and kind of feed it back to me in, a, in some different words. Right. It's more like thoughtful mm-hmm. and you can have conversations then about ethics or um, what people would do in certain situations and what information they're using to help them make that decision. We can understand that that's a little bit more rich discussion possibilities. Yes. Right. Um, so yeah, so that was a really good book. I think that would help people kind of start out. What do we say? So what do we say? I say that discussions are great. I think that's no surprise here. I I just love talking. <laughs> I love having conversations. I love just being engaged and just hearing people's perspective. And discussions are great, especially when they're done well. In my classroom, we have discussions. Uh, once again, it's it's like is partly prepared, partly impromptu. Uh, A common activity that many instructors use is actually the Four Corners activity, is an activity that I use in my classroom. And this activity is where 
the instructor will read statements. So every, everyone starts in the middle of the room, all the students. They stand in the middle of the room, and then the instructor will read a statement, and then the students have to place themselves in different areas in the room where there are signs posted where it says, strongly agree, agree, strongly disagree, or disagree. So these are placed in the classroom before class even starts. Yes. I have a question, Tanisha. Yes. I just put my hand up for listeners who can't see that right now. Why is there no neutral? They have to pick a side. Okay. There is no neutral zone. And that's a good question because students, when I read a statement, they can't yeah. decide. Like one of the statements, we, we just did this activity like about two weeks ago. Okay. And one of the statements was uh, the gender wage gap is a problem that needs to be addressed in the United States. And some students didn't know. And some students would ask me, can I just stay neutral, you know, and stay in the middle? I had to tell or maybe them, no. like an undecided. There's an undecided. Don't know. There is an undecided? Well, if people are undecided, they, they can be undecided because sometimes they'll pick a side, but they're still a little bit undecided. Okay. So they're, they're not too, too sure. Okay. But it's not like a strong yes, but it's not a strong no. Okay. So if anything, when it comes to the neutral zone, there is no neutral zone. I gotcha. You have to pick a side. But the great thing about this discussion is that we talk about it. After people position themselves, we talk about it. And if during the discussion, if people want to change sides, they can. So for example, the gender wage gap in the United States. So say you strongly agree that it needs to be addressed. And then after the conversation, you can end up walking over to the other side mm -hmm. and do strongly disagree. Mm -hmm. So people have the opportunity to change their minds, which I really mm -hmm. like about that. Yeah, that's great. Um, I also lay out some ground rules for any discussions that we have. You know, one of them, of course, is no name calling one person at a time. Stop talking when another person starts talking. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yes, they're great and they're effective and I use them all the time. Mm -hmm. So what do you have to say about it, Beth? Well, I think that... Um you know, for me, when I sort of evolved in terms of discussions, I, I really had to let go of the control uh, and, and wanting to have the control. Um, but I also think that students do need some guidance. So definitely ground rules are really, really important. Um, for me, it's important that people talk. So a lot of times I'll start with small group, yes. like you kind of talked about. And it's really interesting. Um, I, I've even done things where I'll throw a question out to the whole room and then it's quiet. And so I'll say, all right, you know what? Let's let's just do a small group here. Find two people next to you. Mm. Same question. Yeah. And I'll repeat it. Boom. Suddenly the room is filled with voices. And I'm like, okay, well, really, the only thing different was they got to talk to right. a lot fewer numbers than they were just going to. But then if I come back and say, okay, now let's talk about what you talked about, then people will talk. Hmm. So there's just little strategies that, that can help. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, too, the important thing is to think about what's the purpose of the discussion, which objective or competency is it meeting, is the discussion that you're having primarily for content is it for practicing those soft skills? Uh, is it for practicing things like synthesis or support for an argument? So I think it's really it, it's really important to be clear on exactly why the discussion is happening, and that students know that. So right. they know they so they're very aware of what it is that they're practicing, so that they can actually watch for it too. Yeah. Right in each other. Um, 
So how do we do this? So how do we get it done? So I have, I'm going to share something that I haven't used. I found it in uh, the text that was shared with me, but Beth has used this in her classroom. Socratic circles uh, is something that some, some instructors practice in their classroom. And I pulled this from the book, Socratic Circles, Fostering Critical and Creative Thinking in Middle and High School. Uh, the author is Matt Copeland, and he provides a process. And the process is number one, day before the circle, share the text slash passage slash picture with the class. Number two, on day of the class, have one discussion circle facing each other in a circle. The inner circle are the individuals who have the discussion. Another circle will be on the outside and they are the observers who take notes on the discussion and can give feedback on the content and slash or the process of the discussion. Mm -hmm. Number three, the discussion lasts for approximately 10 to 15 minutes. After the discussion, the observers will provide feedback. Mm -hmm. So that's Socratic circles. But of course you can use variations and adapt it to what you need for the classroom. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I think that the feedback that the outer circle provides could be on both the quality of the discussion and the skills they noticed in the discussion. You know, so, oh, I noticed when, you know, Mary replied to Joe that she actually repeated what he said first, and so she sort of summarized, and then she went on and made her point. So it can be like that, or it could be feedback about content. Like maybe they wanna say something about the actual stuff that that inner circle was talking about. You know what else I was going to add? Yes. This is a really great activity for a teacher who wants to practice being more facilitator. Yes. Because when I used to do Socratic discussions, I didn't speak at all. Mm -hmm. They completely ran the discussion with questions that they came up with. Mm -hmm. And I was also on the outside of the circle taking notes. Mm. And then I would process with them later both the soft skills and also content. You know what, you guys were talking about something and, and there's actually a name for that and here's what it is. Or when you talked about this, um, you, you made a little bit of a mistake in mm -hmm. you know, what you said or whatever. So it's a good, good way to practice that facilitator position as teacher. I think that's great. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of like a starter if you're not yep. comfortable. Yep. I've got a good discussion starter for days when a new unit is beginning and I know I got this out of a book and I don't remember the name of the book but I'm going to share it anyway because I use it a lot and it, it leads to more authentic discussions so it's um, it's a, a little questionnaire that teachers can design and it's filled with statements mm. kind of like the ones you mentioned for four corners so if I were going to start say a unit on free speech or something like that the first day I might have a list of 10 statements number one People should be able to say whatever they want to say and not worry about offending others. Hmm. Agree, disagree. And students just kind of go through and they circle, right? And so I would have 10 statements. The more controversial, the better. Mm -hmm. And I don't have, an, an, and you know what? Sometimes I let students say, if you're undecided, you can say undecided. Or if you think it depends, you can say depends. And then in a small group, they get together and they go through their responses and talk about why they picked what they picked. And then as a whole class, we might just talk about two or three of them, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a really good way to get students into a topic that uh, maybe they didn't know a whole lot about or didn't necessarily have a lot of interest in or something like that. Mm. And it might, like lead, it might yes. lead to authentic discussion too. Yes, absolutely. And then we have some advice too, as in keep it simple, 
start very simple. Um, have short discussions. They don't have to last a whole class period. Oh my word, right? No, like not at all. 10 minutes or 15 minutes. Yes. Um, have very simple rules that are really easy to follow. And then, yeah, try the Socratic seminar so that you can be the observer, um, which takes pressure off you and, and gives you a role during it. So what's on our radar? So uh, what is on our radar? Well, one of the things on my radar is actually Rising Strong by Brene Brown. I finished that that book. The book focuses on how do you pick yourself up after a fall or a failure. It was really good. Like she provides a process. She talks about and she's a shame researcher. Mm -hmm. She talks about shame. She talks about vulnerability. If you Google Brene Brown, she is all over the internet. Is that the book that you talked about in episode one? Yes. Okay. It is the book I talked about in episode one. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> So uh, I finally finished it. It took me a little while because I, you know, work and life. But I highly recommend it. It's very good. Actually, I really recommend any book that she's written. Mm -hmm. The next thing that's on my radar is actually another book that I finished. It's uh, Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. And you might be thinking, mm -hmm. Tanisha, that book has been out forever. I know. I've been wanting to read it for years. And um, I was finally motivated to do it because I found out that HBO Films is going to be releasing a movie and it's based off of the book mm -hmm. Michael you know I love Michael B Jordan Michael B Jordan is going to be in it he's playing the main character Montag and Michael Shannon is playing the captain so those are the two main characters in Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury uh, I loved this book if you're not familiar with the book it's about a dystopian society where books are banned and how firemen are not putting out fires, but they're they're actually setting people's houses on fires where they find anyone with books and the people are arrested. Um, what's interesting about this book, it was published in 1953, and then the, the anniversary edition, which I bought, was published in 2012. But what's interesting is that it does not feel like it was written in 1953. It feels like it was written yesterday because a lot of the stuff they talk about in this dystopian future it feels like it's happening now. Mm -hmm. Like that is going to be our future. Maybe not that extreme, but you never know. So yeah. that is on my radar. I'm really excited about the movie coming out May 19th. Uh, if you haven't read it, read it. Uh, if you if you plan to watch the movie, I would definitely watch it just because Michael B. Jordan and he's awesome. Okay, so I've got two things on my radar. Letitia Wright, yes. who was in Black Panther. And I talked about the fact that I was going to see Black Panther in episode one on inspiration. And I did go see it. Mm, yes. And I loved it. And people clapped in the theater at the end of it. And I always love it when that happens. But usually you have to be at Camel View Theater or like a gay film festival or something like that to hear clapping in the theater afterwards. Mm -hmm. And this was in Phoenix. This was a theater in Phoenix. Nice. And the audience clapped. And it was just so warm, fuzzy feeling at the end of it. I I, I loved the movie. It was That's good so in so exciting. many ways. That is oh, so I exciting. Because I, I remember, I think it was episode one. Yeah. You mentioned you hadn't seen it yet. Yeah. So I'm glad you finally got a chance to see it. And it was a great experience. Oh, it was so good. I, I'm definitely going to watch it again when it comes out streaming. Uh, the other thing on my radar is Janelle Monae's new album called Dirty Computer. Yes. And, uh I've seen her first two videos that have come out, and I just recently saw her video for Pink, P-Y-N-K, 
I highly recommend it unless you get offended easily and uh, then maybe don't watch it, but she's amazing. She is. I, I, sometimes you look at people and, and you just look at them and you're like, you are an artist. Yeah. And I see that in Janelle Monet, And she's been around for a while, too. She's so awesome. Amazing. She can Love sing, it. she can dance, she can act. I mean, she can write. And and this song is really, it's it's just so layered. Mm. It, there's so much in it. So anyway, watch it. Watch it. Write in the comments on our website, twoprofsinapod.blogspot.com. Tell us what you think about her video. Hopefully you love it as much as I do. We have to do a special shout out. Yes, in we today's do. episode. Yes, to our production manager Cheryl oh. Colon. Cheryl is amazing. Yeah. I, I words can't express just how important she is to us. How important she is to this podcast. This podcast would not be here if it wasn't for her. Yeah, like we. Yeah. Well, and even and even just to the college. Yeah. She's Cheryl's very talented. She's Absolutely. probably one of the smartest women I know. Well, prob- she is. She is one of the smartest women I know, and she's got it all, right? Yes. She's got the creative brain. Yes. Right? So she uh, helped us with the logo, and she's got the technical brain. So she'll come in here and help us on something having to do with the program that we're using, and she'll read the instructions one time and be able to do it. And, we kind of sit here like, okay, can you show us this one more time? Right. And if you're not familiar with Cheryl, if, if you're listening to this and you don't know who that is, she's actually the, uh, I believe, the instructional media designer for the Center for Teacher Learning and Engagement. So mm-hmm. she is pretty much solely responsible for pretty much 99.9% of the media content that is produced for our Center for Teaching, Learning, and mm-hmm. Engagement, including this podcast. Mm-hmm. So she is amazing because she's she just knows how to do everything technological and knows how to produce it very well. Mm-hmm. So we so have to shout give a shout-out out to Cheryl. Special shout-out, Cheryl. Thank you. Thank you. You're awesome. Yeah. So anyway, before we leave, we gave shout-outs. Uh, we'd like to leave you with some nuggets. Let's do the nuggets. Nuggets. I'm leaving you with the three P's for discussions. Uh, the first one, preparedness. So have those, those, make sure you are prepared before you have your discussions. Patience, because if you're not used to it, it's going to take a little, little bit of getting used to. Your first discussion might be a little bit rough, but the more you do it, the better it gets. Which takes me to number three, which is practice, right? Mm-hmm. The more you do it, like I said, the better it gets. I think my nugget is a lot like your three, your third P. My nugget is to experiment and reflect. So try, try things out. Think about how it went. I think that goes for life too, right? If we're having conversations with people uh, in in public or just out in the world and in life, listening, trying different things, and thinking about how it went and how we might do it differently the next time. Anyways. Today, we're going to wrap things up. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Tanisha. I'm Beth. Thank you so much for joining us today on Two Profs in a Pod. Join us next week when we plan to discuss burnout. Awesome. I think that's a a great topic. It is. 